uh, to the gospel according to St. Luke, the eighth chapter. And we've been talking about the seed principle over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and um, we're going to jump back into that again tonight. Amen. The seed principle. And on tonight, uh, we'll be sharing about the hindrances to the seed. Last week, we talked about the enemy of the seed. And we know that Satan is coming to try to destroy or to take away the seed of the word. Amen. So the gospel according to St. Luke chapter number eight, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 11. Gospel according to St. Luke chapter number eight, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 11. Now, guys, as we come to Bible study, I want you to uh, to have the mindset of I'm going to take what I learned. I'm going to look at my notes. I'm going to go back and kind of see what pastor was talking about to see if it was actually true or not. I'm going to study it out. I'm going to exegete the text. I'm going to go back and look at it, see if I can begin to grasp and understand what the seed principle is all about. Because with this study, we want to be able to understand that that the problem is not with the seed, but it's with what? Yeah, remember that? It's not with the seed, but it's with what? The soil. And if the word is not producing the fruit that God said it would and can and has the capacity to produce, let's stop blaming the word and saying the word is not true. Let's check out the condition of the soil where the word was planted into. Okay. And so when we get to here in Luke, the gospel according to St. Luke, verse eight, chapter eight, verse number 11 says, this is the meaning of the parable. Now, again, Jesus spoke in parables. Now, he didn't always speak in parable, okay? Because uh, at this point here, when Jesus and his disciples were all alone, the disciples had asked him to explain uh, the parable that he had spoken. And, uh, but Jesus uh, was now uh, moving, and he gave them two reasons why he uh, spoke in parables. He wanted, first of all, Jesus wanted the open hearts, the person who were really seeking God, to learn all they could about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So he spoke in peril because there are some people who had open hearts who really and truly were seeking after God's wisdom. Because parables required uh, you to think. Parables required you to, to, uh, to, to go through a thought process and really to search out in order to get, understand the meaning. And a person who, who really sought after God would, would seek, would strive, would persevere, would go home and and, and ponder and, and, and contemplate what it is that he had said. Similar to uh, us today, you know, you won't really truly understand the word of God if you don't have a desire to really dig and to understand what God is saying. If, all, if the only reason why you come on Sundays and Wednesdays is to because it's tradition or because that's what your family does, if you're not really seeking to know God's will for your life and what he really wants you to understand, I'm not talking about having a cursory interest. But I mean, really digging, really hunting for it like hidden treasure. Uh, if you don't have that mindset, then you're not going to be uh, privy to the God's secret because God only reveals his secret to those who diligently seek after him. So Jesus wanted to he, he wanted to to uh, to identify those who really had an open heart and really were seeking because parables cause you to have to think. Amen. Some people come to church and don't want to think. But God wants you to think about what he says and to search it out. But he also, the second reason, he wanted the truth concealed from those who had closed minds. Because there are people who come to church and their minds are really closed to the gospel message. 
Their minds are really closed to 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 allowing God to work in their lives. So if you are closed to God working in your life, if you are closed to uh, submitting yourself to the revealed word of God, then you won't understand the word of God. So he'll use parables to to conceal the truth from those whose minds were closed, who those 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 closed minds that, are, that that have hardened hearts and they're unwilling to really consider the things that that relate to God. And we have people in our churches today who really, really, when you get down to it, aren't very interested in Bible study, aren't very interested in trying to figure out what God's will is for their life and God's will for a particular situation. So those kind of cats, those kind of folks aren't going to really understand the truth of God's word because they're not really diligently seeking. They're not open to them. So that's why Jesus spoke in parables. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. Verse number 12, let's go. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Next verse. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Then they fall away when they face temptation. Verse 14. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. Verse number 15 says what? And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word and they do what? Cling to it and do what? Patiently produce a huge harvest. Okay? Now again, remember, the problem is not with the seed, but it's with what? The soil. So you and I as born-again believers, you and I as Christians have to make sure that the ground of our heart is in the right condition, is in the right position. It's, it's been it has been tilled and cultivated to the point to where it can receive the seed of the word. Okay? So when we look at this uh this this particular parable that Jesus gave, again, it's it's very clear that if we have our hearts conditioned right, then the seed of the word will produce, amen, when the seed, when it's planted into our hearts. Now, again, look at your goal, the goal of this lesson. The goal of this lesson is to describe the different ways in which the enemy uses distractions of this life as thorns and weeds to choke the life out of the new believer once the seed of the gospel has been sown into the thorny soil of the distracted, preoccupied, and worried human soul. Okay, so what 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 we want to recognize is 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 to figure out how it is that the enemy is trying to 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 get us distracted in life. Because guys, how many of you know as a believer we can be distracted by many things? Is that correct? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens that takes our focus and attention away from God's revealed word for our life and his revealed will and the pathway that he has shown us, amen, that we should walk in, right? So distraction, distraction. How many of y'all, how many, how many of y'all have relatives that sometimes can be distractions to you? How many of y'all have some kin folks that you love them, but they can be just as distractive as all get out? Huh? 
In other words, you, you, you're trying to do the will of God, but it seems like every time you start moving, then they, come, they, they, they interrupt your flow, right? Uh, so we have relatives that are distractions. Uh, sometimes we have uh, hobbies uh, and, and stuff that we do in our recreation time that become what? Distractions. Anything that you do too much can not be good for you, right? All right? And so you got to be careful that you don't allow recreational activities to become distractions from you and me doing the will of God in our life. Uh, there are many times that people will, 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 uh, will allow those favorite pastimes, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever, uh, we'll, we'll allow those things to distract us from our time with God and his word, right? How many of ever, uh, how many ever have a situation where you were, you, you felt God leading you to go get in his word right now, but you were actually watching a show that was pretty good and you didn't want to leave that show alone? Can I get some hands raised? All right. In other words, so, so, so what did you do? Did you choose to leave the show? Or leave the game, or leave the Super Bowl, and go study the Bible, or did you keep on watching that Super Bowl? Huh? Kept watching. All right. See distractions. The enemy will use stuff that seems good and okay in this natural setting, but he'll 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 use those things and he'll highlight those things in your life to get you to get the focus off of God, the seed of the Word of God. And I'm telling you, when, when we are distracted, we're not in our best position to do what God wants us to do. The one thing that we all, uh, uh, all of us have wrong is and everybody that's ever been born in this earth uh, has a distorted soul. OK, in other words, the Bible says we were born in sin and shaping in, in iniquity. Let's go, go to Psalm 51 verse five. Let's read it uh, together. And I want you all to see this. All of us. I don't care how, what kind of family you came from. I don't care how great you were in school. I don't care how, whatever you accomplished. All of us, our souls need to be uh, made, uh, uh, need to be renewed, need to be uh, uh, put in a position where it's focusing in on the things of God because uh, that soul realm can get, get distracted because we have that sinful nature. All of us have a sin nature. Amen? Look at what the text says. The psalmist says, this is David talking. We talked we talk about David on Sunday, right? David did some messed up stuff. Am I right about it? Uh, he was still God's man, but he did some messed up stuff. Uh, and because he has a sin nature. Uh, all of us, all of y'all sitting here looking at me right now, uh, you, I believe every last one of y'all are good people. I believe, I believe you're saved. I believe you love God. But we have, we have a, a, a soul ram and a fleshly ram that if not kept in check, we'll do some messed up stuff. Are y'all tracking with me? I mean, you, you'll do some stuff that you'll look back on and say, I don't know why in the world did I let myself get into that position. I don't know why I did that. Am I the only one? I mean, uh, I don't know why I said that. Or I don't know why I allowed that person to do that. And it's because we have a sin nature. So David says, let's go back to verse number one, that 51st number son. Okay, this is David, uh, you know, going to God and talking after he had committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba, after he had arranged for the murder of her husband to cover his sin. And I told you on Sunday, uh, don't ever think that your deception is going to... your deception can cover your disobedience forever and a day. When we disobey God 
and we continually try to cover and hide stuff and stay in it, God will at some point in time expose it if he'll allow it to be exposed to get us out of it. Because he loves us too much to let us go on in our sin. All right? So David's sin was exposed because the prophet of God came and revealed what he had done. If nobody else knows what you've done, God knows. And if you belong to him, he'll deal with you uh, as it relates to your sin nature. And, and especially sin that you got caught up in and you're not listening to anybody. Because we, we can get caught up in sin to the point to where our minds become, as Romans says, reprobate. We're, we're void of judgment. We can't even determine what's right and wrong. We're going by what we feel. When it feels good, Pastor, everything that feels good is not right for you. It's not good for you, right? Can I get a witness? And every person that makes you feel good ain't good for you. Everything that you put in your body that may feel good is not good for you. Are y'all listening to me today? All right, so watch, watch what the psalmist says. He says. He says, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, here we go. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. He says, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Verse 3, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Have you ever done something that continues just, you wake up in the middle of the night and think about that thing you did that you know you shouldn't have done? Anybody in the house? In other words, you know, it, David, saying, David says, I recognize my rebellion. I know it was wrong. It haunts me day and night. I realize that I messed up royally. And it's messing with me day and night. Next verse says what? Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. David realized he was dead to right, okay? So, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, all right? I was born a sinner. All of us in here were born sinners. You bring a little baby home from the hospital, he's cute and and, and, he's, and he's googling and, and crying and cuddly, but he's a sinner. Now, again, until he gets to the age of accountability, you know, God, he, he doesn't know any better. So God can't hold that against him. But all of us at, at, that, at that young age, but all of us were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. Amen. Oh, y'all, let's keep reading right quick. Verse six says what? But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. This is David talking. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. This is David. Amen. Pouring his heart out to God. Verse eight says what? Come on. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal or a right spirit within me. Amen. Renew a right spirit spirit within me. So let's get let's get into the meat of our our lesson text tonight because I want you to see some things here and we as we move down through here. Lesson point number one. We got to realize this because again the seed is the word of God. The soil is the condition of our hearts. God's word number one provides strong roots. Everybody say God's word provides strong roots. Now, guys, we need this strength because we know the enemy will attack us. 
What does John 10 and 10 say? Pop it up. Y'all know it. You can quote it without even looking at it, but I want you to see it. John, St. John, the 10th chapter, verse number 10. What did Jesus say? He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The KJV says the thief coming not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. So make no mistake about it. The devil wants to destroy you. Make no mistake about it. The devil wants to, to disrupt anything that you as a believer are doing in your everyday life that is moving you closer to God, Cassandra. He wants to disrupt that. He comes to what? Steal? To kill and to do what? Destroy. Don't ever think that the devil is your friend. Don't ever think that the Beelzebub, Satan, is your friend. He's trying to kill you. All right? So, but again, we need this strength. God's word provides some strong roots for us. Matthew and Mark, uh, in in their account of this parable, add that the rocky soil person did not take root when trials arose because of the word. In other words, when, whenever, go to Matthew 13, 21 with it right quick. Matthew 21, 13, 21. Again, remember this, guys. When we are being attacked because of our stand for Christ, we can, we can count it all joy, right? Because remember, what, I think it was, was it James that says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations? For knowing that the trying of your faith does what? Work at patient. And patient when it has its perfecting work, when you allow it to have its perfecting work, I'm paraphrasing, you'll find yourself not lacking anything. Okay? So, so when he says to count it all joy, but how many of us really, come on, can we be honest? Can we talk tonight? How many of us in here really start smiling and say, oh Lord, I'm going through a trial and I, I'm counting the joy, Lord. Lord, I know you're with me. I, I know you got a purpose in this, and I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna trip out. I ain't gonna be wigging out. I ain't gonna be charging you foolishly like Joe's wife was. God, I, listen. Thank you for the trial that I'm going through because I know you're gonna see me through it. How many of y'all really face trials that way? Not a whole lot of folks. A lot of us, when trials come our way, we're trying to get out of it as quick and as fast as we possibly can. We, 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 we don't want anything negative. We don't want anything that's uncomfortable to come our way, right? But here's what I got to tell you. When you do live godly for Christ Jesus, the Bible says it promises that you're going to face some persecution. So get ready. And you, but here, here's, here's the beauty of it. God is with you in the middle of that thing. Just make sure you're not being persecuted because you've done something crazy. All right. And even then, God will step in and, and show you show us grace and mercy. Right. Because how many of y'all have done something crazy since you've been saved? Said something crazy since you've been saved. Said something that was out. When I say crazy, I mean out of the will of God. All right. So watch this. Watch this. He says, but since they don't have deep roots, talking about the seed falling fall this, 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 this ground here, this rocky soil. Since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away. As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So let, let's, let's stop right here and see if we can unpack that for a second. What he says right here is there, 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 there is a classification of, quote, professed believer who falls in this category 
All right. In other words, the seed of the word comes, but there is no deep root there. What did we say in the outline? We said this. God's word provides strong what roots. But but there is a believer. There is a Christian who's out there, maybe sitting here tonight, who uh, don't have deep roots and they don't last very long. They in and out. Every time something uh, adverse happens, they run away from the church rather than run into the church. Okay, you see them and they, they do good and everything's going good. And then something unfortunate happens, something with his family, whatever, a money situation or whatever. It happens and all of a sudden they go away from God. The text says they don't last long because they don't have what? Deep roots. Don't have deep roots. The seed of that word did not penetrate the soul. It was it's the, the rocky soul that seed that did, did not get buried into that ground, okay? But the problem was not with the seed, it's with what? The soul, okay? They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. How many of y'all used to be this way? Had a, had a little rocky soil in you. In other words, when problems came or when you got persecuted for what you believe, you kind of, you know, you, you kind of fell away from the Lord a little bit. Anybody? Anybody willing to admit that, that you've grown past the rocky soil heart? Anybody been there before? Where, you know, when, when stuff happened, when somebody talked about you, you, would do, you gave God your best. You, you worked with that, that ministry and you were really on fire, but they didn't appreciate you. And they talked about how you did what you did. And you got mad and said, I'll be doggone if I ever do anything else for that church. Anybody ever been there before? All right. Watch this. They fall away as soon as they have problems or persecuted for believing God's word. Guys, let me tell you something. This is another one of the devil's strategies. If he can't remember, remember we, that, that we talked about first, there's a, that, that when he talks about the seed of the word in the ground, he says there's there's a, a type soil where it falls on the ground and the word and the devil comes to snatch the word away. If he can't snatch the word away, okay, if he can't snatch it away immediately, then his backup plan uh, is to keep us from growing, including he'll use trials and persecution to keep you from growing. Because see, many of y'all in here, uh, you heard the word, so uh, he he, he didn't come and snatch it away immediately where he just blackened your mind to what's being taught here. You know what what you're being taught. But what he'll do is he said, okay, I, I couldn't get him to, to, to just disregard that word. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and bring trials, Brenda, and persecution to make sure you don't grow in that word. That's what he's trying to do. He's going to bring stuff to your life so that you will doubt the integrity of God's word. Because if he comes and says, well, if, if God really loved you, would he have allowed that to happen to you? There he is talking to you, right? All right. And and he's the one that brought the persecution. But now he's talking to your ear saying, if God really loved you, he wouldn't allow that to happen to you. If God really loved you. You and your husband would still be together. If God really loved you, you wouldn't have had that financial difficulty. If God really loved you, you wouldn't have got fired. If God really loved you. They will let you do more in the church. If God really loved you, here he is talking, right? He's, he, he'll bring stuff your way. He's talking and telling you, and, and he's the one that's bringing the persecution. Because we know in John 10 and 10, the thief come not but what? To steal, to kill, and to do what? He's trying to destroy you. 
But Jesus says, I come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So, again, look at what it says. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So if the enemy can't get you to, if he can't snatch that word immediately, what he'll do is he'll come and send persecution and trials to keep you from growing in that word. All right, go to First Peter 2. Y'all know this. I, I, I got to show it to you one more time. Listen, I may sound redundant sometimes, but I, I, I want y'all to get this. I want you to have this. So First Peter 2 uh, in verse number uh, 1 and 2. Okay, I, I, I want y'all to get some of these base scriptures so that you can understand what it takes for you and I to grow. None of us are smart enough to grow outside of God's plan because God is really God, God. God has more wisdom, you know, than we can ever even imagine. So none of us in our own little uh, puny intellect are smarter than God. So when you think like a lot of Christians do. And maybe I did. I think I did it one time when I think that my system, I got it. You know, I, I can handle this thing that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough. I'm, you know, I, after all, I graduated from Louisiana Tech. I got to be smart, right? See, then it, it, it's not about, it's not about, that was a joke, y'all, okay? It's, it's, it's not about your intellect. Are you with me? You could, you could have a law degree from Harvard. You could have graduated from Stanford, some of these high academic schools, so to speak. But that does not make you wise in the eyesight of God. Are you tracking with me? Look at what the text says right here. Watch it. Watch it. He says, first Peter two and one, the apostle Peter talks. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now, look at what, back up one more time. Look at it right quick. Now, he's talking to born again believers. Why, pray tell me, is it necessary for him to tell born again believers to get rid of all evil behavior? Because obviously, there were some born again believers who had some, 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 some evil stuff going on. He says, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy. What does it mean? That, what's a hypocrite? Okay, say one thing and doing another. All right, that's hypocrisy. All right, gotcha. All right, you 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 you're wearing a mask. All right, you look one way in church, but when you get home or when you're at work, you you're a totally different animal. I mean, really, you're like an animal when you when you're not in church. All right, hypocrisy. Okay, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. All right, have you checked your speech? To see if you've been kind in how you say things. Okay. Start watching what you say this next week. Just kind of just monitor. Have somebody to monitor you. Somebody who talks to you frequently. Have them to monitor you and make sure that you got some kind speech. All right. Because, again, sometimes, guys, we run people away from the church because of our attitude and how we approach them. They, 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 don't, they can't see God, but they can see us. And we're the ones who say we are, are following God and they're watching us, but we're talking crude and rude. Watch your mouth. Everybody say, watch my mouth. Say, not you, but me. I need to watch my mouth. Kind speech. Okay? He, says, he said, get rid of all this deceit, 
hypocrisy, jealousy, all unkind speech. Verse number two. Watch it. Like newborn babies, you must crave. You must crave. What's a craving? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. How many of you got some cravings for certain type food? Somebody, Yvonne, give me a craving of yours. <laughs> she said banana, chick, banana pudding, fried chicken, collard cream. Okay, all that. You can have a craving for that, right? Somebody else give me something else. What's another craving you got? Cody, what's something that you crave food wise? Sushi. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else got a craving? Anybody got a craving for a good barbecue ribs like I do? Yes, Lord. Amen. I'll drive 60 miles and get some good ribs. I'll tell you I will. I've done it before and I'll do it again. Craving. Anybody else? What else? Yes. Lobster. Okay. What else? Anybody else got a craving? Stuffed shrimp. Chicken. Barbecue. All right. We know what cravings are. How many of y'all crave people? Certain people. Oh, there you go again, Pastor. We ain't been doing the Corinthian. Y'all remember that? The Corinthians were so out there that they, they, they had just all sexual fornication was known as doing the Corinthian. All right. Now, guys, listen, when you I'm just trying to prove a point here. When you crave somebody, that means that you have strong desire. You want to be around that person. Now, I can imagine if I use my, if I would go back in time, uh, I'm going to use Brother Carl Robinson for example. I, I listen. I didn't know that Carl could dance the way Carl. I saw Carl at the gala, and he was getting down. I mean, I mean, he was throwing some moves down, guys. I mean, come on now. I'm serious. This dude can dance. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day, amen? But I, I would imagine that there was some point in time where Carl uh, saw this, this, this young, uh, beautiful lady by the name of Doris Samuels, and he laid his eyes on her, and, and he wanted to be with Doris Samuels. And they'd been together in covenant relationship for north of probably 40 years, haven't you? 44 years, all right? And I see the way he look at her now. He's still craving some Doris Samuel Robinson. I see that. Amen. And vice versa. You, you listen. We know what it means to 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 lock in on something and say, "I desire that." Am I right about it? Watch, watch this. Here's what God is trying to get us to do. He says, "Like newborn babies, all of you ladies who've had babies know this to be true." And if you breastfed, fed, you breastfed your child, you know to be true even more so. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Go to the KJV on this very same verse. First Peter 2 and 2. Look at what he's telling us. We, we know what cravings are. A pregnant woman knows what cravings are because, you know, when you're pregnant, you have those cravings and it may, it may hit you at 11 o'clock at night and you got your husband going out at 11 o'clock at night trying to find some pickles. All right? Look at what it says. As newborn babies, here is our mentality. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, he says, Desire, crave it to the point 
so that you can grow thereby. All right. Now, now, now why is this important? Because, guys, l- let me let you know, it's not a secret, but y'all have heard me quote it time and time again. The Barnard Group constantly does religious surveys. Uh, and when people are asked in an anonymous way, they don't have to get a name or what church they go from or where they come from. But, they, but if they're honest and asking the question anonymously. Most people are not craving the word of God. We've become distracted. We're, we are a distracted nation. We are distracted by social media. Now, guys, when y'all hear me say social media, y'all think I'm against it. I'm not against it. Uh, but, but when it's in excess and when it becomes a distractive tool that keeps you from, from craving the milk of the word of God, you rather scroll Facebook than study your Bible. We have a problem. When, when, when you no longer will communicate with your spouse, you'd rather ride in the car and, and, and be on your phone rather than talking to your spouse or talking to your children. Letting them ride in the car. Let them sit at the dinner table. Looking at who posted what, who tweeted what. Or on the phone at the dinner table talking rather on the phone rather than talking to each other. We have a problem. Distractions. What we've done is we allow these things to pull our attention away from the word of God. Peter says this, as newborn babies crave or desire the sincere milk of the word that you may go there by. I don't know about anybody else, but I know for a fact that babies crave milk. And there is no satisfaction that's going to come to them Unless you get up in the middle of the night and give them that milk. You the babies say, ain't nobody sleeping around here if I ain't getting what I want. How many of y'all remember those days? Hello? And if you are a mother who breastfed, your baby don't care that, that, that your breasts are sore. They want what they want. And what, what God said is that same mentality we should have about God's words. Now, if we're honest, guys... We're not always there. We're not always craving like that. But it says as newborn babies desire the specific word that you may grow thereby. All right. Let's get back to our outline. Okay. So we need this strength because we know the enemy is going to attack. It said God's word provides strong roots. And we need this strength because we know the enemy will attack us. These attacks are aimed at the word of God that has taken root in our lives. The devil is trying to get each one of us. To turn loose what we heard on Sundays and Wednesdays. Are you following? He wants you to start doubting the integrity of what you heard from God. And guess what, guys? That strategy is not new. Where did it start? In the Garden of Eden. Eve, yea, hath God really said that? Planting seeds of doubt from the beginning. And that's what he does. He doesn't want you or I to lock in and get that word buried down in our hearts. So he comes, he attacks us, and he's coming for that word that you've heard. That word that, that you've made a conscious decision. I'm going to use that word to govern my life by. It. I'm going to use that word to, uh, to actually uh, uh, live uh, my everyday life by it based on what I heard and what I was taught in, our, in, our, in the course that I went through. So God's word provides us strong roots and we need those strong roots because the enemy is coming. He's, a, he's coming for that word that we heard. God's word challenges the perspective of our sin sick soul. 
it challenges perspective. Here's what I, I would tell you. And I, I started asking this question because I don't really know that all of you all in here, I, I, I believe all of us in here are born again believers, but everybody in here doesn't have a biblical worldview. In other words, what do I mean by that? How you view life and how you view situation, whether it's a work situation, whether it's a family situation, uh, whether it's a, a, a church situation, our viewpoint of the situation has to be shaped based off the principles of God's word and not on our experiences. Because if we allow our viewpoint to be shaped on, based on our experiences, all of us have different experiences. And as a result, we start giving advice as Christians, as ministers, as deacons, that's not in line with God's will because we have allowed the word of God to shape our viewpoint. And the word of God will not shape your viewpoint if you don't have no word in your head and in your heart. Word has to get in head, down in the heart. The psalmist said, thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. So, see, during the course of a conversation, one of the things that I'm trying to do and, and figure out is, is what's shaping your viewpoint of the world? What's really driving how you, how you think and how you pursue life? And I'll be honest with you, some Christians don't have a biblical worldview because they don't study their Bible and they, they go off what they think. And some, some, some Christians think kind of weird. To be honest, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you think, you know, you, you let your emotions take over rather than the word of God. So what, what I'm after as your pastor is for each one of us to renew our mind. Remember what Romans 12 and 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. God transforms, God changes our behavior by changing what? The way we think. So we got to let God change the way we think about life. Amen. Quit letting politics drive how you think about life. Quit letting your experience from years gone by drive how you look at life. Listen, yes, we all have experiences. Learn from them. Amen. Your experiences come in to augment spiritual truths, but do not allow what, what happened between you and Eddie five years ago shape how you deal with Eddie today. Are y'all tracking with me? Are you, are you with me? All right. Now, let's, let's go. Next, next point. Next point. Thorny soil in our lives can choke out the growth of the seed. Thorny soil in our lives can choke out the growth of the seed. If the devil can't get at us in other ways, he will use the world to choke and distract us. Y'all got that? He'll use, he'll use the world to choke and distract us. And that's what he's doing with a lot of these things that we, that we have in our life. You know, we, we have, you know, the social media, the TV, um, the activities, the, the sports. You, do you realize that in a lot of churches during the summer months, attendance goes down because people are vacation, but a lot of times attendance go down because now, uh, my son is in travel ball. And so I'm traveling every week. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with travel ball, but you, as a parent, you got to decide, okay, all right, everybody's chasing the dream. And somehow or another, we've been duped into thinking, if I go to as many tournaments, AAU basketball, or if I go to many football camps as I can go, and a lot of times they're on Sunday, when you used to be at home, at your home church getting fed, but now you're out there cheering your son on. Now, I'm not saying you don't support your child, because I support my child. 
But it was very few times. As a matter of fact, something, when it came and Junior was asked to play AAU basketball, uh, there was some football. I think maybe one time we went to a football camp on a Sunday and we went to church that Saturday before the thing that Sunday. But I was not going to make it a habit because I didn't want to send a message that football is more important than God. And every parent thinks their child is going to make it to the NFL. Every parent thinks their child is going to be in the NBA. Every parent thinks their child is going to be in Major League Baseball. And the, and, the, and the reality is that there's very few that ever get there. I'm not saying they can't get there, but don't hang your hat on that and spend all your money because it's expensive. To travel every weekend gets very expensive. And some folks taking their tides. Don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just trying to tell you. We, we get distracted is what I'm saying. And we, all in the name of, 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 of sports. I mean, I love sports, guys. I, I, I played it on the collegiate level. But sports cannot become our little god. But the enemy will use whatever. I mean, stuff that's not bad in and of itself. But, but, but you take it and it becomes a distraction. Work, work is not bad in and of itself. God said, a man, if a man don't work, he ought not eat, right? But how many of you know you can become a workaholic and spend more time at work than you do with your family? All in the name of building my career. I'm going somewhere. But when you get there, ain't nobody with you. What good is it? You spend all your life Climbing the corporate ladder to get the status and get there in that place. And your family, you lost your family along the way. Your kids won't even call you now. They're adults, but they, they won't call you because they don't really know you. Hello? But you got that title, though. Everybody that works said, man, boy, listen. Oh, you, 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 you're the VP of that division. Oh, man, you were, you were over this. But what did you lose? Okay, everybody say distractions. Again, having a career in of itself is not a bad thing. Trying to climb the corporate ladder, it's not, listen, it is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I've tried to push everybody here, go as far as you can go. Accomplish whatever you can accomplish. And while you accomplish those things, open some doors for somebody else too. Are y'all listening to me? I believe in in opening doors for others. Because when you get a chance to build relationships with people, uh, and they trust your judgment, then when the next opening come open, say, hey, uh, Bill, listen, I got I got somebody I think you really need to take a look at. I mean, uh, and, and you make the introduction. Open doors for people. I want us to get to a position. I want all of us to be in hiring position, if you want to be. Some people don't want to hire people because you don't want to fool with people. You want to just work and go home, right? Because fooling with people can be... <laughs> yeah, somebody says it can be a distraction. It can drive you crazy if you let it. But see, I but I, but I did, I do need God. God needs Christians in some of these high positions too. God needs believers in some of these positions where we can make decisions. All right. So I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, don't let that become your distraction to where you put all your focus on that and you forget about God. And that's what some people do. Okay. All right. So look look with me. Um, the key here is that the things which distract us are the cares and words of this life. The, the Bible says, don't, you know, it says, cast all of your cares upon him for he careth for you. Okay, so look, if the devil can't get us, get at us in other ways, he will use the world to choke and distract us. Okay, when we fall into that trap, guys, 
we're living for this life instead of the life to come. We don't want to get there. We don't want to be there. Okay. Y'all still with me? All right. So, um, the, the, when we look at this, uh, the, uh, uh, the point number one was God's word uh, provides strong roots, right? It provides strong roots. Number two, we said thorny soil in our lives can choke out the growth of that seed, okay? Thorny Christians are those who want to move on but are getting tripped up along the way, okay? Thorny Christians are those who want to move on but are getting tripped up along the way. A Christian who is allowing the things of this life to choke him is kind of like a fish out of water who's grasping for air. Is that right? Your, your fish, a fish has to have water to live, right? And, and just like that fish can't survive in a foreign uh, or alien environment outside of water on dry land, we as Christians cannot be fruitful and productive when we're outside of our element, when we're trying to live for the world rather than living for God, okay? So point number three, watch this, point number three. We are being prepared for kingdom living now, not just in heaven. I remember growing up when I, when the, and I know people meant, didn't, they, they didn't really know that they were emphasizing at this point, but the thought process was, if I can just hold out till tomorrow, if I can just keep the faith through the night, if I can just hold out, everything will be all right. The mindset was, let's just hold on, and then one day we're going to get to heaven, and then we can shout our troubles over. Huh? Soon as my feet strike Zion. I'm going to lay down my what? Heavy burden. Now, you're supposed to lay that heavy burden down while you're here. Because the Bible says, cast all your curse, your burdens upon him, for he cares for you. Why are you still toting that? Why are you going to wait to heaven to lay down your heavy burden? Think about that for a second. Now, we sung some of these songs, and I know people meant well, but you don't have to wait till your feet strike Zion before you lay down your heavy burden. You're supposed to lay that burden down. Now, give it to Jesus. And you keep carrying that stuff. That's why it keeps messing with you and distracting you. Give it to Jesus. He's a burden bearer and a heavy load sherry. Can I get one witness? Can I get somebody out there who can say, I know I've learned how to throw that stuff over on Jesus. I've learned how to not let people bother me anymore. I've learned how to be free and I've learned how to walk in that freedom every day of my life. We got to do that, y'all. We got to get there, okay? So we've been prepared for kingdom living now, not just in heaven. So don't don't have the mentality, I'm just going to hold out to the, to the end, and then I'm going to shout then. You ought to shout now because you know in the end we're going to already win, right? One of the exciting truths about God, Christ's millennium kingdom is that Christians are coming back with him to exercise rule for those 1,000 years. Y'all know we're going to come with Jesus, and we're going to establish rulership in the earth, for a thousand years. And we've talked about it before. That's called the millennium kingdom. We know that Christ is going to descend from heaven. At his second coming. And set up his throne in Jerusalem. To rule for a thousand years. We talked about that. And the Bible says over in Revelation 19. That Christians who were raptured before the tribulation. Will return with Christ. And reign with him in his kingdom. Y'all. See our faithfulness to Christ. Now determines the extent of our rule. Or our lack thereof in the kingdom. In other words, when we come down back with Jesus, some of us gonna have a lot of stuff to rule over. Some of us, are gonna, you know, some of us gonna be glad to be there, but we ain't gonna have a whole lot. Because what we do now is gonna determine what we rule over 
then, right? What we do now is going to determine how we are positioned in the kingdom. Now, thank God that we're there, but I don't want to be there naked. I want to, I want to, I want to be there because, and I, and I want to, I want to have uh, whatever God chooses for me to have because I've been faithful in, 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 in what I've done down here. Amen. What I've done in this life now. So again, our faithfulness for Christ now determines the extent of our rule or lack thereof in the kingdom. All right. It, it, it determines that. So we got to make sure that we, we get to that point uh, where we, where we're there. So, so guys, w- let's go back over these three points and let's do a little lesson illustration. Okay. Point number one is what? What do we say? God's word provides what? Strong roots. It, it, it anchors us. It anchors us. Number two, we said what? Thorny soil in our lives can choke out the growth of the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God, right? What is the soil? The condition of man's heart. And those different types of soil indicate what type of what type of ground, the ground, the different type of ground indicates what kind, what kind of heart that seed of the word is going into. And thirdly, we said what? We have been prepared for kingdom living now. Not just in heaven. Okay. Now, uh, I was on, on, a, on a lesson illustration. Uh, the story was told. Some of y'all may have heard a story about this, this guy that, that went to the doctor, and and this, and this guy went to the doctor. He kept telling the doctor that he was he was painting all over his body. He said and he said every place that I touch is pain. The doctor said you got pain everywhere. Normally we got a pain in a certain spot, right? Whether it's your, it's your hip, whether it's your shoulder, whether it's your head, or whatever. But every place that guy pointed to, his, he, he, he was hurting. And, and finally, the doctor said, okay, let me take a look at something now. He looked at the guy's finger, and the guy's finger was dislocated. So every time the guy touched somewhere, he feel, felt pain. And he says, I'm hurting. Guys, sometimes, and the illustration is this. Sometimes we got one spot that messes everything up for us. We got one area that's, that's, that's hurting us, and now everything is hurting us. You got one hurt. Somebody hurt you deeply, and now everybody in the church, every person is wrong because JoJo hurt you, and you still haven't recovered from JoJo. So you can't even see life now because everything in life now is just void. It's empty because of that certain hurt. Guys, we got to, we got to make sure we're not allowing that to permeate our lives to that point. Uh, the next illustration is game field. How many of y'all know the Rams are going to play the New England Patriots? Patriots are back there again. I didn't want them to go back again, but they are back there again. I told somebody I respect. I don't like them, but I respect them. I got to respect what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have done. And they do it with no name player. Folks that you didn't even really heard of uh, were not necessarily high draft choices. And they come back and they keep doing it over and over again. How many of y'all had any doubt when they played Kansas City, when they won the toss, who was going to win? Anybody, anybody had any doubt? I had no doubt that once they flipped the coin and, and New England got the ball, the game was over. Mentally speaking, they know they can win. Are y'all listening to me? Now, talking about game film, one of the things that, you know, that New England does so well, and this is kind of what the enemy does with us, New England studies the game film. You get the film on the team and you begin to look at their tendencies. What do they do on third and one? What do they like to do on third and one? What do they like to do on third and long? What do they like to do on first down? 
What I like to run out of this formation, they sit down and watch hours of film developing tendencies, strengths, weaknesses. What do they do when the ball is on this half? What do they do when the ball is in the middle of the field? They spend all their time evaluating game film. We, when I was playing ball at Tech, we did that too at a much higher level than what we did in high school. In high school, when I was playing, we just looked at the film and, and we went over that one day, but that was all we did. And took a look at what the other team did, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time doing that. It's far advanced now, much more, much more than what, when I was in high school. But at the college level, it's even more. And then at pros, guess what? You get paid to play ball. So they spend all that time evaluating game film to look at our other team's strengths and weaknesses. Guess what? The enemy is studying your life. The enemy is looking at your tendencies. He's looking at where you're weak at. He's, he's saying, well, you know what? If I just get this person to do this, she's going to cuss him out. and She's going to lose her testimony. Huh? She's at work talking about Jesus, inviting folks to come to the passion play at church, inviting them to come to watch night. But I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I see, I see where this, well, she's really weak right here. I'm going to punch her button right there tomorrow at 2 o'clock while everybody's in the break room. I'm going to ruin her testimony because he's been studying your game film. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you go off. Yeah, you've been good here in church. You don't go off in church, but he knows when you get home, you're always going off. Study your game film. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. The enemy is out for keeps. He comes to what? Steal, to kill, and do what? To destroy. And he's been studying us, amen, uh, like, like, like nobody's business. So let's make sure that we understand how he operates and then let's get in line with our strategy and our game plan. God has a game plan for us. But you got to study the playbook to be able to perform when it's game time. You cannot, listen, I, I never, the time, that I, all the time I've been playing football from, from grade school up, but particularly in high school and college, never would we go out there without preparing uh, and knowing what the other team did. We can't just go out and start making up plays and draw them up in the dirt. It doesn't work that way. You got to practice. And so what God is saying, quit trying to conjure up a play to attack the enemy when you don't, you don't even know what the strategy is. Quit trying to, 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 to wing it when it comes to fighting the devil. Spiritual warfare is not a wing it type situation. You're going to get killed out there. Let's find out what God's word says and then begin to operate in it, okay? All right. Now, last thing I want to share with you. You know, sometimes in life we throw temper tantrums. Y'all know what temper tantrum is? I mean, that's, you know, usually you see that in, in little kids, but guess what? Adults throw temper tantrums also. Y'all, do y'all know somebody who, who throws temper tantrums? <laughs> some, some, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, y'all, we, 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 a lot of people throw temper tantrums. Yeah, you, you're right. You're right. I heard, I heard you out there. I heard you. Okay. But guys, we, we got to realize that, that the enemy will use whatever a man he can to throw us off our course. Um, he'll use whatever he can to get us off, off, off kilter. And if he knows that we are prone to temper tantrums, guess what he's going to do? He's been studying our game film, and he knows how to punch that button to get us off kilter. Okay? Don't allow him to do that, guys. The, 
take the good seed of the word of God and place it into the good ground of your heart and let it begin to produce and germinate and, and produce the fruit that it needs. And don't hinder, don't let the devil hinder that seed that's been planted inside of your heart. That's what he's after. He's trying to distract us so that that seed will not grow and produce the fruit that it is capable of producing in all of our lives. None of us in here are, are, are too low and too weak and too non whatever for God to use us mightily in the kingdom. Remember what he says. He chose what? The foolish things of this world to do what? To confound or to just discombobulate those who consider themselves to be wise. And why did he do that? So that no flesh Cassandra, could glory in his presence. He used people who are insignificant, people who may not, people don't think a whole lot about. And he used those people, the weak, the, the outnumbered, to do his will so that he can get the glory out of everything we do in our lives. So let's, guys, let's, let's make sure we recognize the seed principle, okay? Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you. All right.